Good morning, Lifehouse Church. How is everyone doing today? Man, it is a beautiful day to be in church, right? Because you can't do anything outside. And I mean, sleeping in, who wants to do that? Like, that's boring, right? I mean, you sleep in your dead, amen? Not really, I would, yeah. I was talking to somebody earlier and they told me, they said, you know, I almost slept in today. And I looked at him, I said, me too. Me too. No, no. I am so glad that you are here today. Hey, can we take a moment and welcome Lifehouse in your house joining us today via Facebook Live? We love you. We appreciate you. We're glad that you are part of what God is doing at Lifehouse and in Oak Ridge. I want to invite you to stand this morning. I want to start and read a passage of scripture. This is actually the verse of the day. If you use the uh, version Bible app, if you look at it or if you've already looked at it, you've seen this verse. It's the verse of the day. Today, and this is uh, what it says. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me talk a little bit about Apple stock, right? Apple, like iPhone, Apple stock. And how in 1980, if you would have bought $10, it'd be worth like, I don't know, a whole lot today, right? Well, here's what I did this week, just for fun. I've never invested anything in my life except, well, things that, you know, never mind. Don't worry about that. Firearms. Anyway, um, <laughs> I bought $10 of Apple stock the other day. $10 of Apple stock today. So I, I am proud to tell you that as of this morning, I am the proud owner of nine dollars and 96 cents of apple stock i have lost four cents in five days come on somebody but here's the thing if you will invest your life into the kingdom of god if you will invest your life into giving your life to jesus he said if you try to hang on to your life you'll lose it you're going to lose that return of investment but if you will give your life to me for the sake of the gospel and for the furthering of the kingdom of God, you will get a return on investment like you could not imagine. I think that's worth a good amen right there. So today, let's worship the Lord. Let's give him our very best. Don't wait to the end of the service to make a commitment to Christ. Start right now in the very first song. Just say, God, I want to give you everything I have. I want to give you my life. I want to give you my time. I want to give you my worship. I want to give you my praise. I want to give you myself. Can we do that today, Lifehouse? Come on. Can we do that today, Lifehouse? So, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity, God, to lift up the name of Jesus. It is truly a privilege. It is truly an honor. God, it's not a responsibility. It's not an obligation. It is a gift to get to lift up the name that is above every name. And Father, today, as we pour ourselves out for you, Jesus, we pray that you would pour yourselves in, yourself into us. God, that as we give you what we have, that you would give us what you have. And we pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
marching to battle, no doubt in my mind. My God is with me and victory is mine. I'll dance in the shadow of my enemy. God is my champion and he fights for me. God is my champion and he fights for me. Son of man, throw off this armor and raise up my hands. I know my God and I know who I am. I know my God and I know whose I am. Bigger the battle, greater my faith. There is no giant you cannot slay, cause you're stronger. and they did not kick with me. They did not, okay, all right. Well, good morning, Lifehouse family. How are y'all doing? Awesome. You can take a seat for just a moment. For those of you that might not know me, my name is AJ, and I do this here at Lifehouse. So 
Um, what's up? Yes, uh, Carlos, you are the man. So we are so excited to worship with you this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, we are even more excited that you are here, and we want to be able to connect with you. So there is a card in the seat right in front of you. If you would fill that out, and you can either drop that in the bucket here in a minute, or even better, you can go right outside to the table in the lobby and turn that in. we got an amazing gift for you, and then like I said, we really... We just want to connect with you. We want to find out what brought you here today, um, what we can do for you, how we can get you involved, and just how we can show you that you're loved and highly valued, because that is what we are all about here at Lifehouse, right? All right, so we are into a new year, and that means we got all kinds of new awesome stuff going on here at Lifehouse. And so uh, if you look around in your seats or on your way in, you might have gotten these two little pieces of information here. And so the first one being the announcements and things we have going on, and there's a couple of things that you really want to look at on there, one of which because I believe it changed from the information that we shared last week. And so that was our church business meeting. So we do that at the beginning of the year every year. And last week we announced a date, but we have had to move that. So we are going to be doing the business meeting immediately following the service on January 30th. So the last service of the month, we're going to have a business meeting. It'll be very quick. You're more than welcome. Look, if this is your first time here, you can come to that meeting if you'd like to. If you attend, if you give, if you serve, um, you're part of our family and you can come to that meeting. So January 30th, immediately following the service, a service that I imagine is going to be pretty amazing because we're going to be doing baptisms that service. So that is always a good time. If you are interested in baptisms, you can go to lifehouse.info. There's a baptism page. You can fill out that card. We'll get in touch with you, talk to you all about it, and get you signed up to get baptized that day. So let's see. What else we got going on? Um, Lifetrack. So Lifetrack is an awesome thing for anybody who is new to Lifehouse and wants to find out a little bit more about who we are and what we do and why we do it and how you can get involved. So we do that. We're going to change it up a little bit this year. We're going to do it the first of every other month. And so the first Sunday in February, we will have our first life track for this year. We will make sure that we keep announcing it and we put it in the announcement sheets and we put it online. We will communicate it as much as we possibly can so that everybody knows, but that's a great place to start if you are new here to Lifehouse and we will have that the first Sunday in February, all right? Another thing to remember is Wednesday nights are back up and popping. And so this Wednesday, if you have kids in Kids House or students in Lifehouse students, we are full tilt Wednesday nights, having a good time. So those usually start at 6, 6.30. Okay, um, so get your kids out here. Um, we want them to come and hang out with other kids and get into the Word and worship and do all of those things. And if you have a student that is in Lifehouse students, this Wednesday is extremely important. They're going to have a, a parents meeting. It'll be at 545, so right before the students all get together. And they just want to you know, tell you what they're going to do with your kids this year. Cast a little vision for the plans that they have. Um, and, and just let you know that as you're dropping your students off, that they have a plan for what they're going to do and what they're going to show them and what they're going to teach them and hopefully how God moves in their life. And so 545 this Wednesday, if you have a student in Lifehouse Students, please, please, please be here for that. It's very important, all right? Um, really not anything else going on on there, right, Lindsay? Okay, um, there's another card, which is super awesome and important right here, right? And what that shows is in February, we are kicking our life groups back off. 
And let me tell you, I love worshiping on Sunday morning with all of you. It is fantastic. But there is something about getting together in smaller groups of people that are going through the same things you are and, and building relationships and having someone to talk to and being real with. And that's what you get in life groups. And so I urge you, please, there's, I think, nine groups on here, maybe ten. There are groups for men, for ladies, for moms, for dancing, for anything that you might want to do, right? Right? So please, look through these Find a group to get plugged into. And I promise you, if you're like, that one looks interesting, but I don't know I can make it every time. Sign up. Make it when you can. That's okay. We just want to get you involved in that so that you can get around some other people and, and, and just share your life with them. And so these life groups are important. So you got a couple weeks you can sign up. All the information as far as what the groups are are on here, where they meet, the times, all of those things. And then you go to lifehouse.info to sign up for them. So we do ask that you... You sign up in advance just so we know how many are going to be at every group if you could. All right? So, everybody going to sign up for a life group? Woo! Everybody behind me is. Okay. Everybody in front of me going to sign up for a life group? We're going to do this again next week. So, uh, just be prepared for that. Okay? I'm just going just gonna to let you know. So, all right. Well, that's enough of that. You guys don't need to read that, right? There you go. Thanks. Appreciate that. All right. Um, we're very formal about these things, all right, so I just wanted to make sure, okay. Um, so look, we are going to continue to worship um, through our time of giving. And so if the ushers could come forward, that would be amazing. And while they're coming forward, I, I have a question for everyone. This is like a, if you guys don't know a lot about us here at LifeHouse or what goes on up on this stage, or honestly, I know what goes on a lot of times when I'm up here, is we're pretty honest people. We're not here to hide and paint a perfect picture other than my dope outfit. Other than that, you know, we're, we're real. Like, this, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about the messy stuff. We're going to talk about the difficult stuff. And so my question for you is this. It's something that I wrestle with often, and so I'm kind of just asking if anybody else does. Um, does anybody ever doubt God, doubt their faith, doubt his existence, doubt if he's moving in their life? doubt any of those things, right? Like, let's be honest. Drew says this all the time. We're basically telling you to give your life to something you can't see, right? You can't necessarily, you can hear from, but, you know, like, it's a little, it can come across a little weird sometimes. We're okay with that. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff out there, okay? Um, so, I, I struggle with that a lot, often, because I am, at times, an overthinker, but more than that, I am an analytical thinker. I need the facts and the numbers and the, and the evidence and the proof and all of those things. And so I, I wanna, the reason I'm sharing that with you is because, you know, Pastor Drew at the very beginning of this, not having any idea what I was gonna talk about, um, talked about investing, right? Investing in God. But, but I would, um, and yes, it, it kind of fits, but I would encourage you to start by just inviting God. And when I say inviting God, I, I don't just mean, so this morning, here's an invitation to give your life to you. That's not what I mean. I want you to do that. If you have not done that, I, I encourage you just to in, invite God into your life. But even if you have, even if it's been years since you've done that, I find that when I have doubt, I can experience God and feel his presence when I invite him into things in my life. There is a step we have to take 
He is not a, a genie, right? And even that, you got to rub the lamp, I guess, and ask, right? And there's rules. I don't see in the movie. Um, but like, but you know, so you have to invite him into the things in your life. You can't just expect him to make them all perfect for you, right? That's, that's not how it works. And so I find that when I invite God, not just into my life, but when I invite God into my marriage, it gets better. When I invite God into my parenting, that gets better. When I invite God into my home, it gets better. When I invite God into my worship, which I would encourage you to do this morning before the next song, it gets better. When I invite God into my time here at Lifehouse, because look, guys, sometimes, just I'm going to be honest again for all of you, there's a lot of people who serve here at Lifehouse. Sometimes, that's all it is. I got to come and push the buttons and move the things and, okay, that was great, now I'm going home. I didn't worship. I didn't hear Pastor Drew's message. I didn't do any of that. I didn't invite God into that serving that I was doing. I didn't invite God into my prayer. They're empty words without that. I didn't invite God into reading scripture. I didn't invite God into my job. And that doesn't mean, look, I can't really talk about Jesus and my work, but I've done my best to create a Jesus culture without saying his name. It's the best way that I can put it. So you have to take that step. And, and, and another way that my family has done this is we've invited God into our finances and we have tested him. It is the only place in the Bible where God tells us to test him. So we don't just invite him, but we can test him with our finances. And I understand it's, it's an itchy topic, right? Everybody was feeling real great about everything I was telling you to invite him into until I said money, right? And then we all went, oh, I see where you're going with that, you guy, <laughs> right? But it's the truth. It is the truth. And I have seen it. I have, I have fake invited him into it and seen it not work. And then I have truly invited and trusted him and tested him. And I've seen what it does. And look, I am not rich, okay? I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not here to tell you give. Give 10% here and you'll get 5 million times back. That's not what I'm here to say, okay? But I am here to say that if you invite him into your finances and test him with that little thing in, in your life, which he tells us to do in, in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. And that blessing is not being rich, just heads up. That's not what he's saying. But my life is better. I don't, I don't necessarily stress about money. It, it's there. I, I do what I can with it. But, but I have been so blessed since testing him through tithing. And, and it's, it's changed our family. It has changed our finances. It has changed the way we're able to do things. Um, and look, I, I like stuff. It's not like I ain't spending money. I love stuff. We do, what, what? Unbelievable. All right. She likes stuff too. Okay, stuff and shoes, all right. But look, I, I know, again, I know this is an itchy topic. I know, I, trust me, 
I have to talk about it like 48 out of 52 weeks a year here at Lifehouse. And sometimes I just kind of glaze over it. Hey guys, it's uh, time to give. Give to the handsome fellas and Carlos. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, and I know I'm dragging on here, but but I really, I, I think it's important that we don't just blow past tithing and giving and doing what you can to invite God into something in your life. So I will say this. If you don't give today, if you are not ready to invite God into your finances, that's okay. I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money or your life or anything like that. But I am encouraging you today to do two things. One, we have two more songs coming. Invite them into your worship for the next two songs and for the message that Pastor Drew has. Two, find something that you can invite him into. JT, it's okay. Invite him into a round of golf. That's okay. Do it, right? Find something. Invite him into your five minutes of enjoying a cup of coffee in the morning before you get going. Invite him into your marriage and just commit to reading the Bible with your wife or engaging with your spouse differently or whatever it might be. Just find something in your life you can invite him into and do that this week. Don't leave here without doing anything or getting anything from this. And I know this is like the second message you've heard today plus worship songs and there's a full one coming. But we do that because we want you to leave here impacted, changed, ready to go do something for God, for your family, for this world. And you can't leave here doing nothing. And so if it's, if it's anything, give them five minutes of your day. Invite him into that. That is an investment that I promise you will gain far more than four cents a week, which you lost. Um, so can we do that? Like, can everybody commit to that? I'm not even asking you to commit to give. They're going to come around. Please do if you can. I'm asking you to start by committing to give him something in your life. And I promise you, you will see it. You will see a difference. It might not look the way you want it to, but you'll see a difference. And then invite him into something else. And eventually you'll run out of things to invite him into. And money's the only thing left, right? And so you'll invite him into your finances and you will see a difference there. And so, again, I just encourage you to do that this week when you leave this place and as we're about to continue to worship. And, and so let me pray for you. And then these guys are going to come around and then we will stand and worship again. Uh, Father, um, I know. I know that uh, I can get long-winded, and I both thank you for that and wish you would take that burden from me. Um, but I'm so glad to be here with, these, with this family today, and even the folks who are joining us for Lifehouse in your house. It's, it's such a blessing to invite you into my Sunday morning, to invite you into a couple of hours of my week and see the impact that can make on the entire rest of the week on everything that's involved in that, in the things that are in my life, in my job, in my marriage, in my kids, in my friendships, in all of those things, and into my finances. And I'm asking this week that each and every one of these people that are a part of our Lifehouse family, and that's everybody who is here today, that they would invite you in. Invite you in as we continue to worship, 
invite you in as they go about their lives. And, and be able to take whatever that thing is that they're inviting you into and truly invest in that and see what you can do with it. And if that's their finances, I would ask you to bless that. To bless us as Lifehouse, as being good stewards of what you are a part of, but then also bless their lives, not just financially, but seeing that inviting you into something so major as our finances can change our lives. And so today, Father, I'm inviting you into this place, even though you are already here and don't need that invite. And I'm asking for each one of these people who might be hesitant to say it, teenagers to, to the eldest in the room, that they would invite you into something little. Don't make it confusing and hard and difficult. Make it easy. Pick one thing and invite them in. And God, I ask you to hear that. Join them and change their lives in some way. We invite you into our worship. We invite you in to the time we have here this morning. And, and we ask that the songs and the praise and the message and, and every other part of what we're doing, you are a part of. And we can feel that presence. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. what we love about you is that there's always more that's what we love about you is that there's always more that's what we love about you is that there's always more that's what we love about you so we sing holy spirit Holy Spirit, come rest on us. You're all we want. You're all we want. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. You're all we want. You're one more time, Holy Spirit.
more time. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. You're all we want. You're all we want. Son of God, in all his innocence, and walking in the dirt with you and me, who knows what living is, he's acquainted with our grief, man of sorrow, son of suffering, let's sing that again, oh the perfect son. Oh, the perfect Son of God, in all his innocence, you're walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is, he's acquainted with our grief, man of sorrow, son of suffering. Blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah. To the son of suffering.
Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God, your cross, your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God, your blood, your blood, still speaking, your love, still reaching, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God. Your cross, 
just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus oh, let's sing that last verse again I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction, till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom, I speak Jesus. Because your name is power. Jesus, 
Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Jesus in the 
find Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. I feel this in my spirit right now. You might be doing just fine, but when that line is sang, you think of someone in your family that needs an experience with Jesus. I'm asking you to stand in the gap for your family members tonight. And come down to this altar and get prayed for, for your family. There's some curses, some generational curses that are going to get broken in this place. Child Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. One more time. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Hope my fear and all anxiety. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness. Over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. Shout Jesus. 
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. So we sing your name. Your name is power. Your name is just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Oh, one more time, just that line. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Just take a moment. There's no need to, uh, you guys have already heard a great sermon today from AJ, so let's just let's just marinate in his presence. His presence can do more in a few minutes, in a few moments, or honestly, even in a single moment, than all the world's best sermons, all the world's best medicine, physicians, doctors, therapists. Those are all wonderful things. And I'm very grateful for all of them. But his presence is the most invaluable gift that we have. If you need healing or peace or a miracle of any sort, or if honestly your prayer would just be, my faith has grown cold. Your prayer might be as simple as, I just, I want to want Jesus. Man, that's a beautiful prayer. I want to want him more. Let's just take another 60 seconds and whatever you need. James tells us that often we have not because we ask not. So let's ask. 
right where you're standing. Nobody needs to tell you what to say. What do you need? Do you need a financial miracle? Do you need healing? Do you need somebody in your family, their life to be changed, to be delivered from addiction? To I, I don't know, but I know him, and I know he's able. God's so good, isn't he? His presence is so sweet. As we continue in this mode of reverence and heavenly attention, and even as you remain standing, if you're able to be doing so, take your Bible and go to Matthew 16. Maybe you got a print Bible, maybe you got a Bible out, it don't matter. I'm just just get it out. Matthew 16. One of my favorite areas of scripture. I don't know how often I have preached from this passage, but I do know it was the very first sermon I wrote. I never preached it. But I wrote it from this passage of Scripture. I still have it on a yellow legal pad, handwritten from when I was 15 years old. And I wrote about 20 pages of a sermon that you don't want to hear. The world is not ready for that one. On Matthew 16, starting with verse number 13. starting a series today called The Church Defined. Verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets which is to imply that they thought that maybe Jesus had upon him the spirit of one of these prophets. Which is funny, and that according to Scripture, John the Baptist somewhat carried the spirit of Elijah. So they list those two people right there. This is after John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. doesn't mean that he was haunted by them. I just want to make that clear. But there was some semblance of the anointing that was on Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah that was on Jesus. And Jesus asked this probably the most important question found in all of the Bible. That we often, even if we've been a believer for many years, would do well to ask ourselves every so often again. Verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. 
Some Bibles will even translate that, Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which is to say, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And I'll say this, this isn't my message. I'm just, listen, I could preach for three hours today, but I won't do that to spare you, but I could. I'm, this worship done got me going, y'all. I'm ready. If you're struggling, and I've been there, AJ talked about it, I find myself there far more often than I care to admit. If you're struggling with doubt, your faith feels weak, questioning things, first of all, let me just tell you that God's not put off by that because he's not an insecure egomaniac. He can handle it. He, he, he can handle it. But what we really need is a, a heavenly revelation of who he is. And the only way we can really have that is by asking him for it. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. Now, we always call him Peter today, but that wasn't his name. It was Simon. Jesus changed his name. And it's the Greek word, Petros. And it goes on and explains it. You are Peter. And on this rock, or Petros, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Which I've always found intriguing. And it was because Jesus was much more worried about the work that he was doing in the 12 than trying to win a popularity contest. Jesus didn't seek this platform. He sought after people's hearts. I want to preach a message to you today that I'm calling, It's Still Moving. Everybody say, It's Still Moving. moving. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this incredible team that's led us today in spirit-filled worship. And spirit, as you have had your liberty in this place, I pray that you will continue to move in might, power, and freedom. That you would enable me and anoint me to speak words that are not of my own, but God, to speak as if I am speaking the words of God yourself. Lord, I come to you with the greatest amount of humility I can muster, and I I confess, God, I got nothing good to say. Within me, there there is no good, not any good. But God, you have redeemed me, you have made me new, and Lord, I live and speak and preach and operate by the strength given to me by the Holy Spirit, not of myself. God, I can't brag about it. All I can do is trust you. So God, today, as I preach from a place of humility and obedience, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move, convict, change, transform, and restore. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And life out said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can we, can we honor our, our worship team for leading us today? Come on, let's honor.
I, I love the church. Some of the greatest moments of my life occurred in a local church. I, oh, you're the best, even after I made fun of you earlier this morning. Come on, give it up for Ashley. <laughs> it was a good burn, she said. I don't get those often. Usually I'm the one getting made fun of. But uh, I love the church. Some of the best moments of my life happened in church. June 16th, 2000, not, not 2000 and, but just 2000, June 16th of 2000. It was a, I believe it was a Wednesday night. I went to a church. I had been invited. I didn't want to go, but I didn't have anything better to do. I had plans with friends, but they had canceled on me. And so I thought, well, I don't want to sit at the house with my mom. I guess I'll go to church. And so I go to church. I sit on the back row, about where Tara's sitting right there. You know, back row right there. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe you'll get saved too by the end of the day. And I love you. She's going, next time she gives me a shot, she's going to jab it in real hard. It's going to be amazing. You give me four of them? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Anybody know of any local physicians in the area that's accepting you patients? Let me know. But I sat on the back row, and it was wooden pews, you know, the kind that you, yeah. And uh, I sat there, and I would grip, the, I, I was just angry. I, was, I wasn't mad about being in church. I was just mad about being alive, to be honest with you. And I gripped, I just sat there, and I just would hold on to that pew in front of me and lean forward. And I listened to this guy with, with blonde tips preach a sermon. He was wearing blonde, he had blonde tips. He wasn't wearing blonde tips. He had blonde tips and a three-piece pinstripe suit which was, I mean, like, that was fly for 2000. And if you said that today, you get looked at cross-eyed by the people under the age of 23 that are looking at me cross-eyed. But anyway, that was, that was something else, you know. And uh, he preached out of John 2 about when Jesus attended the wedding at Cana of Galilee, about how however much you pour in is how much you're going to get out. That was the message. That was what he talked about. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I don't I'm surely not pouring anything in. I wasn't a Christian. I was as far from being a Christian as you could be. But I remember the message, and I remember at the altar call as the man who became my pastor, Brett Cooper, sat or stood, and he played the keys. And the altar call was given, and I said to myself from that back row spot, I said, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you love me or care about me, but I know that if I'm going to keep living, I need something to change in my life. And so I got up from where I was, walked out of the aisle in front of a bunch of people who knew me and knew my junk, knew my past, knew my story. They were surprised that I was even there, all because somebody pulled over on the side of the road to invite me earlier that day while I was cutting grass, mind you. I walked up to the altar. I knelt right there in front of what would have been a monitor like this one as he played keys right here. And from his keyboard to the mic pushed to the side, he led me in the sinner's prayers. I gave my heart and life to Jesus that night. I love the church. That marked a moment in my life that changed me forever. Now, I don't know what you know about sanctification. For some of you, that's the word you have never heard before this very moment. For some of you, you love talking about sanctification. And for a lot of us, we need to start working on some sanctification. I became saved in that moment, but that sanctification took a little bit of time. And to be real with you, it still is. Can I get a witness in the house today? People would stand up on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights when we'd have church, and they would say, Brother Brett, that was the name of our pastor. He said, Brother Brett, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And everybody would stand up and clap. And I wanted to stand up and say, I'm saved. I'm still being sanctified, but praise God, I'm still filled with the Holy Ghost anyway. And um, I got married in a church. And if you don't get married in a church, it doesn't count. 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That is a joke. I don't mean that. Some of y'all are like, oh, man, we got to redo it. Some of y'all are like, I'm going to another church next week. No, but I got married in a church mainly because it was cheap. And uh, I'll tell you what, that's what I'm talking about. Didn't have to pay anything to be there. My father-in-law was an interim pastor, I believe, or, or he was working with the church. I don't remember. Either way, we got married there. Never went there before, never been there since. But I got married in that church. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, right? I uh, had a lot of fun experiences in church. Had a lot of life-changing experiences in church. I love the church. I love our church. I love Lifehouse Church. If you're new here, our goal ultimately is to show the world that they're loved and highly valued by a God who loves and values them. It's nothing special. It's just what we want to do. We want to show the world that in word and deed. We show it, you know, by events we do when we give things away. We show it by holding uh, services as well as having online availability so that they can, people can hear the good news of Jesus and hear that, you know, ultimately most people who are not familiar uh, or who are not connected to a local church, and many people who even are connected to a local church, we, we struggle with this mentality that God's mad at us, but the truth of the matter is that God is mad for us, and that's the, the goodness of the gospel that we want to communicate. That God's not mad at you, God's mad for you. He breaks down every wall. He descended from heaven, became into the form of a servant, lived a perfect and sinless life so that we could have eternal life, gave himself up on the cross, was buried and then raised again on the third day, ascended into heaven 40 days later. That's the gospel in a nutshell, but there's so much more to that, right? And that's what we ultimately want to do. We have programs, we have kids house, we have worship teams, we have different teams, we have teams that even cut the grass, but at the end of the day, every bit of it exists for one singular purpose, and that is to tell people, hey, Jesus loves you, he gave his life for you, why don't you give your life to him? That'd be the best decision you've ever made. So what comes to your mind when you think about the word church? For a lot of people, a lot of different things come to mind. For many people, uh, word, uh, you know, emotion of hope comes to mind. You know, when you think about the church or the local church, hope. You know, the hope that, you know, I have been introduced to the gospel that changed my life and set my life on a course that was much better than the way I was living. For un. For many people, unfortunately, another word comes to mind, and it's hurt. They've gone to church, they went to church, they gave themselves to a church, only to one way or another find themselves hurt by that church. And to be real with you, here's the, this is the, just the hard truth that you would do well to just be okay with, is that if you attend a church for any length of time, you're going to get hurt in some capacity by the people or the organization of that church. And the reason is, is the church isn't perfect. Because it is made up by people who were not perfect. And imperfect people hurt, whether they mean to or not, other imperfect people. However, there's many occasions where that hurt reaches a new level, right? Where hurt becomes more than just hurt feelings, but it becomes hurt lives. Maybe healing comes to mind when you think of the church. Maybe you received a miracle. Maybe a relationship was healed. Maybe your heart was healed in your relationship with God. For many people, and this one I hate the most because it is the word hate. 
many people think of the church, they hate the church because they've been hurt so badly by somebody that they trusted, by somebody that they thought they cared for, by somebody that they had believed in. And this happens all too often in our overly saturated social media culture of the day where we take pastors and preachers and, and, and prophets and evangelists and churches and, and we put them on pedestals that they were never meant to be on. The only person that's ever supposed to be on any pedestal in your life in that capacity is Jesus and Jesus himself. And he's the only one who will never let you down. Yeah, he's the only one who will never hurt you. He's the only one who will never betray your trust. He's the only one. But if you put your faith in a man or an organization, it will hurt you. Give it enough time and enough opportunity and it will hurt you. It will hurt you. Whatever you think about when you hear the word church, chances are it's not what the first century people understood to be church, right? Here, and this, this, is, this is what I was thinking about. You know, nobody got bored during church in the first century. Because for the most part, they were looking out, make sure nobody was coming to kill them, right? Like, they, you know, we got Pastor Allen in the, in, the, in the lobby right now, who is our safety team, and I sure do appreciate our safety team that just operates in a lot of different capacities. But, but, you know, if we were in the first century, his goal would be to make sure that there were no government officials coming to, to, to kill us or to arrest us. And if that were to be happening, that we could disperse quickly as fast as possible, right? There is one story, one occasion, this is hilarious to me, where a guy fell asleep during one of Paul's sermons in the first century church. He was sitting in a windowsill, just imagine, sitting over there in the windowsill. He was sitting in the windowsill, and he falls asleep. Paul was preaching a long time, y'all. I mean, like you have never heard in this world, in your life, a preacher preach as long as Paul was preaching, apparently. Guy falls asleep, falls out the window. Apparently, it was on like the second or third floor of a building, falls out the window, hits the ground. He's dead. That's what you get when you fall asleep in church. <laughs> but Paul, because he's a good pastor and a good man, unlike myself, he goes out and he prays for the guy, and the guy raises from the dead. If you fall asleep and die, it's on you, brother. <laughs> it's on you. I'll let Don pray for you, but I ain't touching it. I'm just kidding. I would, I'd pray for you. I'd pray for you from a distance. Say in the first century church, nobody was arguing over the type of music they were going to play. The worship wars did not exist in the first century church. They didn't have musical instruments like we have them today. They probably just chanted and recited different creeds and catechisms that they had written and different verses from Psalms that they were, were going to. They didn't care. They just wanted to lift up the name of Jesus. They were more mature than many of us are today, arguing over things that are of absolutely zero consequence. Can I get a witness? They weren't worried about, did the pastor have holes in his pants? They probably all had holes in their pants because they were, had a pair of pants. They didn't even wear pants, I don't think. They had like robes and stuff. Y'all don't want me to do that. Julie, don't do that. Don't wear robes, church. Oh, girls always. It's an inside joke that sounds pretty awkward if you don't get it. It, it. If it was funny, if you understood the context, and I promise you, it was appropriate given the context. Okay, that sounds even worse, but okay. I gotta pray again, y'all. Hold on. 
They weren't arguing over carpet colors or remodel designs for their building because they didn't have a building. They had just places that they could go. They would meet in synagogues and hopefully not get in trouble for it. They would meet in different people's homes, different public places. They would meet outdoors. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have lighting. They didn't have instruments you could plug in and amplify. They didn't have microphones. They had to find a way to communicate the gospel as best they could when they gathered in different ways. And they just made it work. They didn't get caught up in the petty stuff that we all too often find ourselves get caught up in. They weren't thinking about the buildings, the rows, the pews, the programs, the, the, the chairs. You know what? They didn't even have Bibles. They didn't even have one of these right here. For the most part, a lot of this hadn't even been written yet. And for the Old Testament, if they were able to have copies of scrolls of the Old Testament, they wouldn't have had... They wouldn't have had the entirety of the Old Testament. They would have had, maybe if they were lucky, a book of the Old Testament. And even then, they might only have a partial copy of the Old Testament. And I can tell you this, if they had it, it would be, the, it would be one of the most valued possessions that they owned. Now, I collect the Bibles. I got lots of Bibles. For them, they would have called me, you know, I've got like probably 15, 20 different Bibles. They would have regarded me as one of the richest people to ever live having that many Bibles if I were to be able to go back in time and show them what I have. And here we are, we treat this like it's something unimportant. We care far more about what's on Facebook than we would do what's in God's Word. Church would look a lot different. They didn't have any bands, they didn't have any banners, they didn't have a projector. They had each other and they had the gospel of Jesus. But that was enough. Because that's the church. The church was simply and powerfully a gathering of people who came together around a singular belief that Jesus was and is the risen Christ, the Son of the living God. I think that's worth an amen. The church was a movement. And 2,000 years later, give or take a few, I'm here today to tell you, the church isn't perfect, but it's still moving. It's still moving. It's gone through a lot. It's had ups and downs. It's had decades and even centuries of problems, pain, and issues. But here we are today in 2022. I think about it for a minute. We're still moving. The church is still moving. So as we read here in, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, you, uh, or, uh, Peter replied to him, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who, who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, the truth is when we think and when we say the word church in our normal everyday context, we, we actually don't usually mean it the way Jesus said it when he was talking to Peter. You see, Jesus used a Greek word called ekklesia. I, I, it's just ekklesia, and it means an assembly or a gathering. But unfortunately, that is not where we actually get. If you have ever stud, studied, I believe it's called et etymology, where you study the, the origins of different words, that is not where the origin of our word in English, church, comes from. Our word church in English actually comes from an old English word that was adopted in the, around the 300s AD. Uh, and, and, and it, it was... Uh, 
kirch. And the reason, and it actually means of the Lord, right? Of the Lord. And the reason why that, that word was used for the word church was not because of its definition, but because phonetically it sounded similar to the word church in Greek as far as they were concerned in that time. So it was a really bad translation, which honestly led to, uh, led to, to really bad theology because for them, when they made that transition of, of the word church being changed from an assembly or a gathering to of the Lord, the church then started down a path of becoming a monument instead of a movement, and the church started becoming a place instead of a people. You know, we talk about it today. We talk about going to the house of the Lord, right? And, and it sounds spiritual, but it's actually really bad theology. And like it or not, theology matters. Bad theology leads to bad beliefs which leads to bad behavior. That's why it's very important that you don't just read this, you digest it. You allow it to make its home in your heart to change you from the inside out. The church became tame. It became localized. And then as the Roman Empire adopted it as, as the state religion, it became something completely different than what Jesus had said in Matthew 16. It became controlled by the people who controlled the building and not a movement of a gathering of people who were united by one idea that Jesus was God and then one mission to create more followers of Jesus. The church is so much more than a building. It's so much more than a place. It's so much more than programs. Now listen to me. It can be those things, but it can never be defined by those things. The church can have those things, but those things cannot have the church. In the 1500s, a man named William Tyndale, and if you're carrying a New Living Translation of the Bible, there's a possibility that if you look at the publisher mark at the bottom of that Bible, it will actually have the words Tyndale because Tyndale are the, is the company that was named after William Tyndale from the 1500s, and they published the New Living Translation. And, and, and he, had, he was one of, if not the first person, we don't know for sure, but this is far before King James was even born, right? This is far before the King James Bible. And, and, and you don't want me to go down that road, right? I mean, anyway, um, the, it was not the first English translation of the Bible. Let's just say it like that. Yeah. And if you do any study of original languages, it, it's, it's a great translation, but it's, it's just a translation. It's not to be revered. It's to be used as a tool. Nothing more, nothing less. And Tyndale translated and published the Bible in English from the original Greek and Hebrew text. And the thing is, given the day of the 1500s, this was scandalous, you guys. Because what he was doing in that moment is that he was taking the power away from the 
priests and the pastors and the preachers, and he was putting the power of having the word of God for themselves in the hands of common lay people who could then translate the Bible and understand the Bible and read the Bible and, and, and get it for themselves. Because up until that point in time, there was a lot of hoops that had to be jumped through, right, to be able to come to Jesus, to be able to, to be guaranteed eternal life, to be able to be forgiven of your sin, right? It would cost you money. It would cost you time. It would cost you all kinds of different things until they were able to read Ephesians 2, 8 for themselves. For it is by grace you have been saved, not of man, not of works, lest nobody would boast, right? You can't do it on your own. It is a gift of God. You can't earn it. The only thing you can do is receive it. I'm preaching way better than your shout. Don't let this weather get you down. 1524, he fled from England to Germany where he was able to publish the first version of his New Testament. And then he was able to then smuggle it back into England so that people could begin reading it for themselves. Can I just tell you on a personal note, I, I hope, I hope you will treasure this. Whether it's this here or, or not this, certainly not this. That's Instagram. That's like the furthest thing from the Bible. There we go. Whether it's this or this, that you will treasure it. That you will begin to see the value in it. It's not to be worshipped. I want to make that clear. But it is alive and active when we read it. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Not just the words that it says, but through the words that it says. He continued to translate the Bible. The printing press had been invented. And he was able to use that state-of-the-art technology of the time to publish and distribute copies of the Bible so that anybody could read God's word for themselves. It took 1,500 years of Christianity to exist before that privilege made its way to the common person. Think about that. And then a few years later, he had a friend who decided to take a bribe for some money. And he turned him in to the local religious authorities, William Tyndale, was both hung and burned at the stake for his works of trying to get the Bible into the hands of everyday people. Because the church, being of the Lord, was controlled and ran by people who sought profit and not by men and women of God filled with the Holy Spirit of God, led by the mission of the gospel of Jesus to promote and to proclaim the love of God and as he published the Bible, he was taking money out of their pockets. The church has had some good days and it's had some bad days. But the church is still moving. In Matthew 16, like I said earlier, we get our first reference here of the church. I'm just going to read it again. Are you okay with that? I'm just going to do it either way. Verse 15, he says, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. I read it wrong, didn't I? Yeah, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's the thing, though. You cannot disconnect following Jesus from belonging to his church. The two are not mutually exclusive because Jesus is the head of the church. And if you belong to Jesus, you must belong to a church. Now, that does not just necessarily mean that you have to belong to a local church, but that does mean that you have to understand that you are part of the church, the capitalized, the big C church, right? You see, church doesn't mean the Lord's house. Because the gates of hell will prevail against those, right? Friday night in Mumford, Tennessee, there's a church there named River of Life Church, pastored by a friend of mine named Greg Timkey, and it burned to the ground. Now today, even as we speak right now, they're meeting in their gym on their property. Aren't we grateful for gyms on our property? They're meeting there right now. But man, one of the most inspiring things I've heard in a long time was Pastor Greg in a Facebook video. He said, it looks like we have lost our building, but we have not lost the church. I'm telling you what, I about kicked the door down. I mean, I, I could just open it, but I was ready to kick the door down, right? I was ready. He said, we may have lost our building, but we have not lost our church. Buildings, they're going to come and go. There's going to become a time, hopefully sooner than later, that this building, believe in God, y'all, this building, it gone, y'all. It is, it's going to go. It, 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 won't, it won't be here. And we may build another. We may go somewhere else. I don't know what the Lord has in store for us in that regard. But this building is nothing more and nothing less than, than two by fours, sheetrock, and black mold, y'all. Just don't go in the attic. I'm just telling you, you're okay in here. Stay out of the attic. <laughs> See, I'm like, I got to find a different church next week. That's what's wrong with my breathing. Now you're fine. You'll tough it out. Lord will heal you. Be quiet. <laughs> but this building is not sacred. This building is a tool to be used to proclaim the sacred gospel of Jesus. And when this tool doesn't do the job that it needs to do the way we need it to do it, get rid of it. Get another tool. That's what you do. You have a wrench that breaks. You go to Home Depot or Auto Parts store and you buy another one. You don't, you don't mourn that. You don't, you don't cry over that. You move on. And someday, at some point, we're going to move on. Just like Pastor Greg is saying, this building's gone, but bless God, we got a gym back there. So we're just going to move on. We're going to use that one now. And the Lord's going to provide for our every need as he sees fit to do so. Buildings will come and go. Listen, denominations will come and go. There ain't nothing wrong with denominations. I know denominations get a bad rap today, but if you really understood what denominations were all about, they do a lot more unifying than they do dividing, okay? The reason why people think that denominations are a divisive tool of the enemy is because they just don't have a good enough education about what they are and why they exist, right? Now, you, you're not going to say amen to that because you don't believe me, but I don't care. I know more than you when it comes to that, so you just have to trust me. But here's the deal. Denominations will come and go. 
They will. Denominations close shop every day and new ones are born every day, right? Denominations will come and go. Pastors will come and go. They'll live, they'll preach, they'll die, they'll live, they'll backslide, then they'll die. I don't know. Something's going to happen, but pastors will come and go. Priests will come and go. Prophets will come and go. But the church, the Lord's people, not the Lord's house, the Lord's people, the church is a movement that the gates of hell will never, no matter what, come hell or high water, ever prevail against. You got, can I preach just a little bit longer? 57 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the movement of Jesus officially launched. You go and you read Luke, and then you go and you read Acts, who, which was written by Luke. And it says that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he got ready to ascend into heaven. And this is in Acts chapter 1. He tells his disciples, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I'm going to send to you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before you do anything else, make sure that you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is what it says in Acts 1. It's in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore to us the kingdom of Israel? And just, just right here, I just have to, if, you're, if you have a Bible and you write in it, or even if you I don't know, can you just like, I don't know if I couldn't do this, but maybe some of you artistic people can. Can you write like an eye roll emoji? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when they asked that question. <laughs> He's like this. You just don't get it. You don't get it. I'm not here to restore the kingdom of Israel. I'm here to establish the kingdom of God. That's what he was wanting to say. In verse 7, he says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power, which is the Greek word dunamis, which is where do we get our English word? Dynamite, right? You will receive power, explosive, unbelievable, uncontrollable, overwhelming, unstoppable power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, which in English is another word for martyr, which does not always mean that you have to die for it, but sometimes you may. We all have to die to ourselves, though. That's right. Romans 12, 1 says that we're to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, right? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine the disciples who've never traveled more than 30 miles away from their home thinking to themselves, the ends of the earth? We don't even know how. We, right, we might, the earth is flat. We might fall off. I don't know if they thought that, but I don't know. What's, what's Bartholomew? That's a weird name. He probably thought that. <laughs> don't name your kid Bartholomew. Please, God, don't let everybody, anybody in this room have a kid named Bartholomew. <laughs> if so, I apologize. Send all of your complaint emails to aj at lifehouse.info. <laughs> that word witness is where we get our English word martyr, which actually in its, its real context means one who testifies to or one who affirms something. In other words, Jesus is saying, you will testify of me. You will proclaim me. You witness me alive. Now you will go and you will make followers of me. You will teach them what I taught you and you will baptize them in my name. And you got to know that at this point in the conversation, the disciples, first of all, they're worried about the whole ends of the earth thing. Bartholomew's over there, you know, spreading his flat earth logic that don't make any sense to anybody. <laughs> but can you imagine how overwhelming that sounded to this group of ragtag nobodies on the outskirts of Jerusalem listening to a man that 40 days ago was dead in a grave. Now, obviously, that has got to give them some vote of confidence, but now he's leaving. You remember when Jesus said, it is better for you for me to go away? 
Can you imagine that the he did, for those of you who don't know it, he did say that. He told them, it's better for you that I go away because when I leave, I will send you another, the comforter, who will not just live, and I'm paraphrasing, who will not just live with you, that's what Jesus did, but he will live in you, right? And you got to think that they were like, that's so weird, guys. Did you hear what he said earlier? He's going to live in me? Like, where's he going to go? Right? I've only got, anyway, I can go down a place we don't need to go, y'all. Jesus is looking at his disciples. He tells them all this. And there's got to be some amount of confidence that they have because he was dead, now he's alive. But, but then he's, he's leaving them. He's going away. And what did they do? They did, for one of the first times ever, exactly what he said to do. And you go read the Gospels and you'll find out I'm telling you the truth. Very rarely did they actually do, at least at first command what Jesus told them to do. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. Now Jesus didn't tell them how long to wait, y'all. You know, a couple days go by, they still waiting. A couple more days go by, they're waiting. A week goes by. I'm telling you, you know, when you're busy and you're doing stuff and you're, you know, especially like if you're on vacation, a week goes by so fast. But, like, if you're waiting on something, like, maybe you ordered, like, the perfect gift for yourself, because that's, that's the best kind of gift. <laughs> if you don't agree with me, you're just a better person than me. Let's just be honest. You know, Amazon Prime used to be fast, but it's getting slow, y'all. I need some of y'all to cancel your account so I get my stuff a little quicker. You know, a week when you're on vacation, flies by. But when you're waiting on something that you want, it crawls by. Can you imagine the conversations they were having? Like, have you ever known something to be 100% true, but a little bit of time separates you from the moment you found out it was true, and you're waiting on that next thing, and you start going, did he really say to come to Jerusalem and to wait? Like, did, was that really Jesus-like? I mean, he looked a little different, like he had the little holes, but like, I mean, he might have just done that to himself. I don't know. You guys think I'm making fun. I'm not. I'm being real about it, okay? This is how my mind works. I'm sorry you have to be exposed to it. But like, I do that. Like, I'll be like so into something and then a little time goes by and I'm like, ah, I don't know. A week goes by. They're still waiting. And then another week goes by, and they're still waiting. But man, credit to the disciples. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, now, Pentecost was nothing more than a feast that they celebrated once a year as Jewish people. It commemorated the time that Moses came down from the mountain and presented to them the Ten Commandments at the end of the 40 days of fasting that he took after the Passover when they left Egypt. And... A bunch of people are in town for that day, right? From all Jews from all over the area. The Bible actually says that from 14 different regions, different people were there visiting Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, for the festival, the feast of Pentecost. And in Acts 2, the word says that on the day of Pentecost, 
They were in the upper room, about 140 of them. Men, women, people who followed Jesus close by, people who followed Jesus from a distance, about 140 people. And they were in one mind. In other words, they focused on the same thing. Jesus said, wait, let's wait. And they were of one accord. They were living in unity with one another. They were caring for one another. They were praying for one another. They were having each other's back, right? I mean, they, 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 they cared. They had compassion for one another. On the day of Pentecost, they were in one mind and one accord. And suddenly, because they didn't, they didn't get a UPS notification saying their package was on the way. Which I love those, by the way. Suddenly, without expectation, other than Jesus said, wait, let's wait. A sound like a rushing wind descended from heaven and filled the room. And tongues as a fire began to descend, each one on them. And the 140 in the room began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the people who were gathered in Jerusalem that day, because it ain't like they had glass windows. Listen, this is an open-air society. They didn't have an HVAC system running through that place, right? They're trying to get air in that room. And the people outside of this room, outside, walking the streets from 14 different countries, 14 different regions, 14 different language groups go, I hear somebody speaking my language, but in a different accent. And they go, what's going on? And they look and they see that in this two-story building, I'm assuming upper room, they see that 140 people are just, just talking. And I don't know exactly what they said. We don't know, but I have to believe, and I do believe, that in some capacity they were uttering the mysteries of God. Things, they, you know, if AJ had been there and, and Julie wasn't with them, you know, one of the disciples that was filled with the Spirit would be speaking, and he was probably saying, there's a man on the road named AJ. He's married to somebody named Julie. And he would begin to prophesy, not even knowing what he was saying over this. And I you know, in that moment, AJ's like, somebody said my name. Somebody knows what's going on with my life. And, and, and the Bible says that, that the people in the city Go and they said, what does this mean? What's going on? What's happening? And Peter, who just a couple of months before this moment had denied even knowing who Jesus was because he was afraid of possible uh, being arrested or executed. He says this, and I'm going to read some word here. You got to be okay with that because the word is what's, where the power is. He says this in Acts 2.22. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. As you well know. Remember, Jesus has only been dead a couple of months or gone a couple of months. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan, aren't you grateful for God's prearranged plans? His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And can I just be real with you? Every one of us right there, that sentence applies to us. It was my sin that put Jesus on that cross. He says, 
you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not hold, uh, keep him in his grip. And then verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses. I don't know if it's up there yet. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the whole... The Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. In other words, to be both ruler and Savior. Peter's words, verse 37 says, pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? That's the very first altar call in the, in the birth of the church in the New Testament. And what I love about it so much is you ain't got no preacher up there trying to patty cake everybody saying, now close your eyes and bow your heads. Nobody looking around so nobody gets embarrassed. No, Peter preached the gospel and the people that heard him say, Oh, what, what can we do? They made the altar call. Peter didn't make the altar call. They made the altar call. Their word, the, their hearts were so pierced by the, by the revelation of who Jesus was, they knew they needed to do something. I lost my spot. There it is. <laughs> Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not attend church, not read your Bible and pray, not stop cussing. We dumb down what it means to be a child of God so much. We trivialize it to little everyday things. I'm going to be a good Christian today. I'm not going to get mad in traffic. How about you get full of the Holy Spirit and you allow him to live and act through you? And then you, will have to, you won't have to try so hard. All you'll have to do is surrender. Verse 39, this promise is to you and to your children, for those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Listen, y'all, it's 1148, I'm doing all right, ain't I? Because Peter preached for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day were about 3,000 new believers in all. Here's the deal. If you don't like big churches, I hope eventually you won't like this one. Because Jesus is all about big churches. Because Jesus is all about people. And if you don't like big churches, you sure enough won't like heaven. So you better make another reservation somewhere else or you better start changing your tone about it. Because Jesus came for one reason and one reason alone, so that people would know God and know the love of God. So that when eternity happens, they get to spend it with God. God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell by not accepting the gospel of Jesus. Don, you and your team helped me. The church was established as a movement. And it's still moving. Jesus said that the church was born as a movement that revolved around the one idea, right? That Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the son of the living God. It didn't revolve around the programs, the pews, or the chairs. 
It didn't revolve around a musical style. It didn't revolve around some catchy statement you glue to a wall. It revolved around the fact that Jesus really did live. He really did die. And he really did resurrect from the grave three days later. And that action and that truth is what saves humanity from themselves, humanity from sin, and paves the way for us to know God and to be known by God now and for eternity. You couldn't go to church, and you still can't go to church. You may have said this morning, oh, it's raining and cold and nasty outside, but we're still going to go to church, and I applaud that. But you can't go to church. You can only be the church. You can only choose to be the church. The church, the church then and today doesn't exist for church people. It exists to equip the saints to go be the church, not today, but, but when you leave and you go to a restaurant, right? When you go buy groceries tomorrow, when you, when, you, when you go to work, when you go to school, the church has never, the, the church, the ecclesia, right? Not the, not the other one, but the ecclesia, it's never been about the building. The people who've tried to make it about the building, they're not part of the church. They're misled. They're confused. Bad theology, right? Bad translation creates bad theology which makes bad beliefs, which makes bad behaviors. The church isn't about, wasn't about, and will never be about style or tradition. I love tradition. I know a lot of y'all probably think I don't, but I do. But I don't worship it. I won't sacrifice what we need to do and who we need to be and who I need to be in order to see people continue to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And from that day to this day, there have been people and groups of people that have tried to turn the church into something that Jesus didn't say it was. And those people will always exist. And some people have done it with the best of intentions, but they did it because they were confused. And we should pray for them. But there have also been people like William Tyndale like missionaries, like people who attend our church every Sunday, Chi Alpha, who they don't have church at the University of Tennessee the way we have church, but they have church in a way that reaches the students of the University of Tennessee. And they are just as much the church as any church you've ever seen or been to. Missionaries, evangelists, pastors, priests, prophets, school teachers, mechanics, garbage men, doctors, office workers, factory workers. Every single one of us, wherever we are. Jesus said in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 18, he said, where two or three are gathered, there I will be in the midst. A lot of times we make that passage of scripture mean something that it doesn't mean. What Jesus is actually saying is when you get together with at least another believer, you have a church whether you want to or not because you are the church. So act like it, realize it, and then your everyday situations, you're the church, you're the people of God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, commissioned to make a difference for God. You're the church wherever you are. And we, as Lifehouse, we've done a lot of great things over the last few years. We've seen a lot of great things. I look out at this room, and most of you, you weren't here four years ago. And I praise God for that. I feel bad for running everybody else off, but 
It's what I do. Not yet. That's right. Right here, too. She's not even looking at me. I was giving <laughs> No excuses. I'm just kidding. Right there. Bump, bump. But most of y'all, you weren't here. And the reason why you're here today, I hope, is because on some level, Lifehouse succeeded not at being a church, but at being the church. But we can't stop. We can't be content with where we are. We must continue to be led by the Spirit when it comes to things that we do to actively minister to our community. And you, the most important thing is that each one of us must continue to grow in our faith so that we are not just the church here, but that we are the church wherever we are. And as people see the light of the world in you, they will be compelled to ask and to learn, what is it that you have? Because I want it too. That is how the church grows day by day, person by person. I love the idea of the 3,000 in one moment, but let's just be real. That doesn't happen that often today. But what does happen often today is you and me and each of us having an opportunity in everyday life to be the church wherever we are. When you serve anybody, you're the church. When you give, you're the church. When you love, you're the church. Can I just tell you, you can be against sin, but you can never be against people. And I know the world right now wants to feed us this lie that if you disagree with a person's way of life, that means you don't love or like that person. But that's garbage. They can't make up truth for me. I know it's true. And the truth is, listen, I disagree with things in my own life, but I still, I still love me. Just look at my shoes in my closet to prove that. dirty today though I know y'all don't think so but they are no we love we love this world we don't love the things of this world we can't be captivated by this world but we love the people of this world and just because I don't agree with what a person does or how they live doesn't mean that I don't love them So I hope today as you leave and you go and you be the church, that first of all, that if you've been hurt by a church or a church person, that you would forgive, not for their sake, but for yours. Because all you're doing is carrying around a weight that you were never meant to bear. And God would say to you, let that go. The time has come. Stop holding it against them. Listen, whoever did that, the reason why people hurt people is because hurt people hurt people. Plain and simple. And the reason why sometimes people get hurt in churches is because people aren't perfect. I've hurt people as a pastor. I never wanted to intentionally, but I've done it. I don't like it. I wish I could take it back. I wish I could change it, but I'm a human being and I am gonna make mistakes. But here's the thing. You've done it too.
So forgive as you would want to be forgiven. Forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. That's my first hope for you today, is that you would let go of that pain and resentment. My second hope for you today, and my prayer for you, is that you would fall more in love with Jesus. That you would fall in love with his word. That you would become passionate about reading it and learning it and applying it. So that when the world sees the light of the world inside of you and they ask you questions, you have an answer for why you live the way you live. And you can point them. You know, when most people who are not Christians see one of these, they think, oh, that's the God who killed everybody in the Old Testament. Or that's the, I've tried it, I can't understand anything in there. But you know what? The Holy Spirit living inside of you, He's going to give you fresh revelation. You're going to read something that you've read a hundred times before, that you've heard a hundred sermons on, and you're going to see something you've never seen. And you're going to get you a Bible that you can write in. Like, it's, this is a new Bible. I got it this year. There's blue underlines right there. Listen, th- this book isn't sacred, but these words are. So I write in this book. I make notes in this book. I underline in this book. Because when I'm flipping through, I want to, hey, right there. Jesus said, and I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's the underline of my Bible. Because I believe that as the church, we are called to make the reality of heaven become the reality of earth. Because Jesus, I don't have any keys on me because they're in my office. Jesus done given us the keys. And he said, you go. (laughs) You make disciples. You go. You take the authority that I've given you. I'm giving it to you. And you go and you do the works that I've done. You take the message of the good news of Jesus to this world. You guys okay? So my prayer for you is that first of all, that you would forgive if you've experienced pain and that you wouldn't hold it against the church. And secondly, is that you would fall in love with Jesus, that you would become passionate for his word so that as you are the light of the world outside of the local church, that you would be the church and that you would have an answer for why you have this hope inside of you. Will you stand with me this morning? Now I'm gonna do this, I made fun of it earlier, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I wanna give every opportunity. I wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes one more time. If there's anyone in this room, if there's anyone watching online who would say, Pastor Drew, I'm far from God. I've either never given my life to Jesus or I have, but I've walked away from that commitment. But today I want to recommit my life to following Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sin and I want to be assured that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity in his presence. If that's you, right where you're standing with no one looking around, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right where you are? I see you, friend. I see you, sweetie. I see you. I see you. There's four. Are there any more? If you're watching online, you can send us a message. You can put it in the comments. You can message me directly if you would like. Church, there were four people that raised their hands. Can we all pray together right now this prayer of salvation? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I ask you to forgive me and to make me new. I want to live for you. I want to know your love. And I want to spread it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Lifehouse, can we celebrate these four individuals? Now, let me pray for you one more time. Father, for everyone gathered in this room, if there is anybody that has dealt with church hurt on any, in any capacity, on any level, Jesus, that you would begin to soften that pain, to soften their hearts, to give them the courage to forgive. Lord, not to forgive and to forget, but to forgive and to remember the forgiveness that has been offered to each one of us because of Jesus. To forgive and to let go of that pain and to understand that when man does us wrong, that doesn't represent you. That's not the church. That is human error or human will. God, that we would forgive and be free from that. And Father, I pray also that you would fill us with a passion for you, for your love, and for your word like we have never had before. God, that we would, Lord, if we go a day and we don't spend some time in prayer, God, that you would keep us up at night. Some of y'all don't want me to pray that, but I'm praying it. Lord, that if we would go a day and we haven't spent some time in your word, Lord, that we would just have bad dreams and be totally tired the next day until we spend time in your, Lord, that you would send your angels to just aggravate the snot out of us until we choose to spend time in your presence and in your word. God, that you would make us uncomfortable, holy discomfort for you. God, that we would pray and you would give us the words to say, because Lord, I know oftentimes that's our problem. We don't feel like we know what to say, but Lord, that through your spirit that you would speak through us, that you would pray for us, that as we read your word, you would give us understanding beyond our own education. And God, that you would transform us, that you would speak to us, and God, that you would help us to be the church wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.